Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Bowman, the host of Side Door, a podcast with candid conversations with world-class entrepreneurs. It's a feeling we've all experienced, heightened anxiety, dread, and panic. It's a universal feeling when your mobile phone's battery is going low. In our ever-connected world, the thought of running out of battery can be terrifying. Having to run and find an outlet is awkward and inconvenient. And unless you're in a private home or office, you're likely tethered to that spot so no one steals your phone. Enter a company like Recharge, who offers mobile power banks at vending machines. Just like buying a snack, Recharge lets you pay a small fee and will dispense a power bank that you can take on your way and return later. Today, I'm speaking with Recharge's co-founder and CEO, Dick Listigiono. I've known Dick for several years, and when I first met him, he was selling air conditioners. Now, he's CEO of a venture-backed startup. Mobile power banks are just a small chapter in Dick's story. We discuss his unique upbringing, seizing opportunity in life, and how it led him to jump from air conditioners to tech founder, and all the challenges he's had to overcome to keep his business afloat in a post-COVID world. Hey, everyone. I'm with my first guest, uh, founder and CEO of Recharge, Dick Vistigiono. Hello. Thanks for taking the time, Dick, to record this podcast with us. Hey, no worries, man. So I wanted to start off by getting to little, a little, to know a little more about you uh, and like your background and, uh, yep. you know, where did you go to school and what were your interests growing up? Okay. Okay. So um, I was born in Indonesia, Jakarta, and I left. Um, Indonesia when I was eight uh, to study in Singapore so I did my primary school in Singapore for five years and then I moved to Perth uh, Australia for my high school and then I went to Sydney for my uh, university in 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 college I studied a mechanical engineering uh, finance and business economics I was a barista making coffee for a while and then um, just just internships, um, a couple of internships. I was never the studious kind. My my brother was more of the studious kind. He, um, I think, since since young, he always knew what he wanted to become, and that is to be a doctor. Uh, but for me, I I was just kind of always um, just just see what what I'm what I'm good at, and somehow. I find myself being okay in the sciences, you know, like physics and maths. Yeah. So a common theme that I'm familiar with, uh, with entrepreneurs is that they typically are not great at school. Mm. Um, so you, you were in college, you were, you know, working as a barista, you definitely, um, did not have those long-term straight arrow career ambitions. So when you came back, it said that your dad had, uh, you know, wanted you to help out with the, or create this family adjacent business. Yeah. Um, did you know much about uh, air conditioning at the time? <clears throat> okay. So um, because, because I have no idea what I wanted to do since young, I guess my, my dad, uh, I guess both my dad and my mom who my, so 
my dad's uh, my dad is a mechanical engineer and my mom is an electrical engineer right so i think very subtly they just kind of pushed me into the engineering side and uh after high school i i remember that i asked my my chemistry teacher what uh what what degree should i go for in college if i want lots of money and i remember him <laughs> telling me get a double degree commerce and engineering so that's what i did right <laughs> uh, my my marks my high school uh leaving examination marks was good enough for me to get those double degrees so that's what i did and yeah again i wasn't really a good student back in college i was um partying a lot playing a lot of sports uh obviously you know the barista thing so that i can finance my partying life <laughs> which which sports were you playing um i played so this was in college uh in college i played a little bit of rugby that that was a follow on from high school because i was i was quite a chubby kid in high school and during winter we had to pick a sports and we uh when when we were younger as in i think grade if you are below grade 10 you're not allowed to select badminton as a sport which you know me being asian i'm naturally good at so i had to pick um i remember i think i had to pick either cross country uh, uh hockey like a grass hockey uh soccer or rugby and so somehow i've never played rugby in my life i played rugby so so that kind of that kind of followed me uh to college for a bit until i realized that my life is in danger because all the all the white guys in college are overgrown <laughs> yeah so, so i played play a little bit of rugby and badminton and basketball I, i guess by the end of um by the end of college i was just playing badminton and basketball That's about it. So I'm curious if you um so I was a athlete in high school and yep. my first few years of college. Do you now as an entrepreneur are you pulling in any of these lessons that you you learned uh through athletics uh, when you are managing your team? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh I mean I've always been I think I've always been really well liked uh in in any any team sports that I play. um uh back then i didn't i didn't there, there wasn't any intention for me to to be nice or anything i think there was just yeah i was just trying to do my best but now um everything kind of you know in the terms in hindsight um everything just kind of makes sense right um i was always the i was i was always the guy that kind of uh resolve or I'll try to resolve problems uh within the team whenever there's a problem but um yeah i think i think that was that was quite natural to me but i had i had no idea what what uh what use it was you know no i think now. that makes yeah. a lot of sense because uh and i i imagine that with your job uh now mm, problem solving mm. is like a central theme of as ceo what your your day-to-day life is yeah 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 so mm. so then how long did you run this air conditioning business for, uh 
for before you decided or, or started to think about making a, a transition to a uh, tech founder? Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, I guess I came back here, uh, at the beginning of 2013 and I started, um, working with my dad mid 2013. And I guess I, I started this, um, air conditioning distribution company in, um, the beginning of 2014, beginning of 2014. Um, I did that. And then I think I, I ran it for, uh, three and a half years, three and a half years. There was, there was a little bit of a, of an overlap, um, between this, this company and, and when I, when I founded, uh, recharge. When I hear Dick speak, a lot of his story resonates with me, as I imagine it does with many other people. Grand dreams, but a reality that doesn't fit. This is where a lot of people get stuck and often settle for unsatisfying careers or jobs. I'm a firm believer that opportunity is everywhere. You just have to know when to recognize it. Dick found his at a CrossFit box. Going from air conditioners to uh, recharge is, is quite the jump. So... Uh, first, can you let us know, uh, why, why you wanted to make this jump and how you did that? And then, uh, for people who aren't familiar, can you give us a, an idea of what recharge does? Yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. I'm, I'm, I have to start on a little bit of a tangent, uh, first, right? So, uh, when I first came back, um, you know, I, I thought family was everything. And so, uh, when, when my dad asked me to, to do this, to do that, I, I did it without, without question. Right? Then, um, because again, I, I had no experience in, in, uh, you know, air quotes, uh, working. So I just did it and, and I ran it, I ran, I ran the, I ran the company, you know, started meeting people and all that, but I wasn't, I, w- I wasn't feeling that happy. I didn't know it back then because again, I have, I have nothing to compare it with. Right. So I, I guess my escape was, um, fitness and CrossFit, right. Um, fitness and CrossFit. So every morning I just look forward to, to, you know, going to the gym and working out with my friends, um, and then to work. Um, and that's when, that's that is also where I met uh, Patrick. Right, uh, we became we became really good friends really fast, and and you know Pat Patrick. Uh, we'll 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 jump. I guess we'll we'll jump back to who Patrick is. But um, Patrick, in my eyes, quickly became a mentor. Right, so I followed him around, followed him around, and then you know I, I also told him that I don't feel like I'm that. Um, fulfilled running this uh, air conditioning distribution company uh, and at the same time I mean I, I uh, my my business partner is in China so I travel a lot you know twice at least every year to to China to visit the factory uh, of our supplier and so uh, every time I go there I my eyes open up a little bit uh, with the technology uh, advances that they make every year, 
right, this was around, this was in uh, 2014 to 2017 uh, period. Um, and yeah, so, so I was aware of, of all these uh, new uh, tech things. I didn't even know the term uh, startup back then. And, uh, and I, I, yeah, and, and I realized, man, there's so, so much more uh, interesting and exciting things out there. So one day, uh, Patrick um, came to me and he said, hey, look, my friend, uh, my friend in China made me uh, say that there's this very exciting new startup that, that he's seeing in China coming up, which is uh, this thing called power bank sharing. And immediately it clicked to me because I remembered seeing it in China, but I didn't, I didn't think that much of it because again, like it would take so much money. I, you know, I, I just, my mind wasn't, wasn't that, that broad, I guess. I didn't know what to do back then. But then, you know, when, when Patrick mentioned that, I immediately say, man, like, yeah, I know, I know of, of all these things that's happening in China. Right. And so, um he he basically offered me whether i wanted to i wanted to start it over here in indonesia and within 15 minutes i just kind of took it um right because i was i felt that i was so much more excited of this new thing as opposed to selling air conditioning um i felt uh that selling air conditioning was such a waste i mean i sure i didn't study that much in college but i still went to college and and I felt like my engineering knowledge and my commerce knowledge wasn't really used much in in this thing. It was, you know, just a lot of lobbying, a lot of knowing who's who, meeting people. There really isn't much that is uh, allowing me to to reach my full potential uh, in terms of uh, innovative thinking, right? Because it was such a mature market. And so when, when this opportunity came along, I, I took it and I ran. Um, when I broke the news to my dad, <clears throat> man, it was, it, was, it was quite tough, right? And it wasn't just, a, um, just one sitting on the dinner table kind of conversation. It, it, it took months for him to really uh, come to terms with it. But I knew that this was, this was one of the first instances, actually, when, when I came back that I really stood up to my parents and told them that this is what I want. Um, because finally, um, you know, with, with, with this thing, I, I kind of, I, it made me realize that I wasn't happy in my previous um, business, right? So um, that company is still running, uh, but I gave it, and I, yeah, I, I gave it back to my dad to run. You did something that a lot of people don't have the courage to do, and that's uh, have the courage to identify that they're not in a position that, uh, like at a job that they love, uh, and they don't see themselves in this in the long term. But a lot of people stay in those jobs, in those career tracks, because they're too afraid to make that jump, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it sounds like you, um, you know, you were trying to figure out what your path was in life. And then when you found it and you opportunity came, uh, without, without doubt, you immediately took it and jumped in. Yeah. Yeah. But again, in, in, in hindsight, I guess I've always been like that. 
you know, um, throughout throughout my life, I I I, I can pinpoint instances where I just don't think and I just jump. <laughs> and this was one of them. Uh, it's very few instances, but but you know those those instances um, yeah really uh, were were quite pivotal in a sense. Yeah, I can I can definitely relate relate. I think I can point to three or four major moments in my life where I took a stand and I I went after something and um, for better or for worse, you know, it it improved my life. It changed the trajectory of everything else that I'm doing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But again, I think a lot of people. I've had a lot of conversations with people, and they're just not brave enough to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think um, yes. Uh, about the bravery part, it definitely is is um, is very crucial. But again, like. I think a lot of it has to do with luck in the sense that I was quite lucky that I kind of realized, you know, I, I was, I was quite lucky that I realized this is what is going to make me happy. A lot of people don't have that chance to yeah. even get there, you know? Yeah. I mean, luck, I think if you talk to any entrepreneur, uh, they're going to tell you that luck plays a, a role in whatever success that they have. Right. But I think yeah. it's also, um, everyone has opportunities in at different moments of their life. It's just seizing them is kind of what separates a lot of the people. Yeah. So you've taken the leap. You now are starting this company recharge, right? So yes. can you give people uh, an understanding of what recharge does? Okay. So there's, there's two parts to it. First is what recharge started out. And second one is what recharge uh, vision is right. Uh, Recharge started out as a power bank sharing company. So the concept of power bank sharing, like I mentioned before, is is it was first um, started in China in 2015, um, and ever since then it, it just mushroom. Right. The the concept is uh, basically we put uh, these vending machine looking things. Um, everywhere, right? In wherever there's food traffic, in 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 restaurants, in shopping malls, in retail areas, so that um, people can borrow a power bank from one of these vending machines and take it with them, walk around with them, go home, go home with them, and return it uh, at any other vending machine, right? So we are essentially creating a network of machines that you can pick up a power bank anywhere and return anywhere, right? So um, I, I go to a vending machine at a mall, one mall, um, mm-hmm. and then I, uh, I pay through your app. Yes. Not with cash. Yep. And then <clears throat> I, I'm now plugged in, and it, and it works with both iOS and Android phones. Yes. So, um, yeah, so, so it's exactly that. So, so the user journey is, uh, you know, there's an application that you have to download. Um, and then that application has all the, all the wallets that you can think about in, 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 in Indonesia. And then you can top up your credits from there and then you can scan this 
this uh, recharge vending machine. And there you can select the cable that you want, right? Be it uh, iOS, Android, uh, micro USB or the type C USB. And then that's it. And then uh, the machine will automatically dispense a power bank um, that is unique to our network of, of, of uh, vending machines. Uh, when, when I say that, that basically means that the power bank itself can only be charged in, uh, in a recharge vending machine. Right? I think uh, people, people that first heard of this concept, immediately they think, how do you prevent um, people from stealing uh, this power bank? Right, so again, we, 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 cannot, we cannot prevent people from stealing it, but we can minimize the incentive uh, for people to steal it, right? And, and one of the ways is to, is, um, is to have a proprietary uh, charging mechanism that is unique to our vending machines only. So once you are done with the, once the power bank is dry, right, you have finished charging your gadgets, then, that power bank is of no use to you. So again, um, people will have uh, no incentive to steal it. The idea with your power banks, though, is and your network that you've you've built, is I I go to one location because I'm I'm in a mall and my battery is low and I need to charge. So I get I get a recharge power bank, yep. but now I don't have to stay where I am. Right. Like yeah, if I, yeah. I were, um, you know, using my charger that I have in my, my computer bag, I would have to find an outlet and I would have to like stand awkwardly somewhere and charge, but you it's mobile. You can go anywhere. And now, uh, I can go from mall a to mall B because that's what my, my daily errands are dictating that I need to do. And so I can do that freely. And then I, I can return the power bank to another vending machine in Mall B. Correct? Yes. Yes. So, so if I if I was trying to <clears throat> paint a more um, complete picture, um, the reason why um, I jumped on the opportunity right away is because um, in the startup scene, uh, this was this was in uh, I think. Q3 of 2017. Um, at, at the beginning of 2017, um, Gojek and, and, and Grab was heavily promoting uh, their cashless startup, right, which is GoPay and Ovo, respectively. And that was, that was the trigger point, right? That was the one necessary thing for this power bank sharing to work. Uh, if uh, if it can be operated cashless, so <clears throat> with this with, with this um, introduction of, of the you know um, cashless movement, then all of a sudden you are trying to combine your your wallet to your already you know so important mobile phone, so it becomes double. Um, yeah, well, you, you just cannot live with your mobile uh, without your mobile phone anymore. So, and and we, if we combine that, and you know, the frustration is exactly what you said, Jesse, about the frustration about trying to find a plug and awkwardly, you know, being being attached to a wall, or you have to buy, you know, a Starbucks 
um, coffee just to sit and, and, and charge your gadget, then um, this makes sense. This business model is, is up and coming. You know, uh, every, uh, is very relatable. Everyone will, uh, one way or another, eventually uh, need this service. So that's why, that's why I jumped into this um, opportunity so fast. How many machines, vending machines, did you have or do you have currently uh, throughout Jakarta and the Indonesia in, in total? Right. Um, we have um, a thousand machines now, right? Maybe plus or minus 50. We, uh, we are, majority of those machines are in uh, Jakarta. Uh, well, Greater Jakarta, right? That's uh, Jabodetabek. Um, and Bandung and Jogja. Bandung and Jogja are relatively small. We just wanted to have presence there um, to see how the market is like. But uh, Jakarta is where all the action is. Uh, In Jakarta alone, I think we have about um, 800 800, uh, machines. Uh, And, and, you know, in in, in Indonesia is a shopping mall first um, country. Right. Uh, basically, if uh, apart, apart from Bali, uh, if you if you ever visit Indonesia, you basically go from shopping mall to another shopping mall, and uh, with that, we are in over a hundred shopping malls in in uh, Jabodetabek, and so I think I think ninety percent of the of the major shopping malls we are, we already have presence, and when I say presence, we have multiple machines in in each uh, shopping mall, you know, so that, again, is, is to, the idea is to create, um, is to create, oh man, I'm lost for words, is to create convenience, right? So, so we, we have it from, you know, uh, people can pick it up from the ground floor when they just walk into the shopping mall and they can drop it off on the fifth floor or third or fourth. So yeah. it sounds like, a lot of the value proposition uh, for for early users and and part of your growth has been the number of vending machines that you have in the in the physical locations. Yes. Now Dick was faced with an even bigger challenge: growing his marketplace of mobile power banks. As he soon found out, getting initial traction wasn't as easy as setting up a machine in a popular mall. I think every every business starting out always have this uh, issue to to overcome, right? which is the the chicken and egg. Which one comes first? And and in this case, um, it took me it took me four months to close uh, our very first uh, partner, which was uh, Pacific Place Mall, and to to convince them that this is what people want, right? This is a service that you're that your visitors want, and um, yeah, you just you just gotta trust me, right? Because there is no other there is no other examples for 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 me to show him when I was pitching him. And I mean, after four months of you know, I was I was lugging around this this machine everywhere I go, right? I was I was just tirelessly chasing after after this guy, which which eventually became my friend. That's that's how close we become. Um, so yeah, that, that was the first shopping mall. And luckily, uh, like, you know, going back to, to what I said before, that 
Indonesia is a shopping mall first country. Um, when when we placed our machines in in Pacific Place Mall, um, and Pacific Place Mall being you know one of the one of the more prestigious shopping malls, all all of the other shopping malls suddenly uh, want us, right? It suddenly clicked to them that this is such a this is such a great idea to have, and this is such a benefit to their to their visitors. Right, they they not all of them realize uh, what sort of impact this uh, cashless movement was going to have, but <clears throat> eventually everybody, you know, if uh, everybody will be going in the shopping mall without their wallets, without hard cash, and if their mobile phones were to run out of battery, then you know they cannot shop in the in the in in the stores and so you know the the shop is not it's not in the best interest of a shopping mall for um to for that to happen so once once they see it once they see how it works in in pacific place mall then all of a sudden everybody just came to us right and and again uh everybody goes to the shopping mall so um business owners of of all sorts uh, started to realize this service that we have, and so they came to us. Right? Obviously, I'm I'm oversimplifying it, but um, eventually that that was uh, what happened. So you started you started with the machines and the shopping centers, and that was how you you de- generated demand uh, or interest for the uh, the machines through. Yeah. Through the businesses, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I. I. I didn't. I didn't um, answer your, your second question about the customers. So that was our partners. That was how we we secure our location. So again, the, the other side to that was how how do we gain, uh, how do we educate the market? Being being the first, um, and even until now, the only power bank sharing company in in Indonesia. It was uh, very tough and very expensive, right? Uh, I mean, we we had we had to go against our our vision, which is you know this this is a twenty four hour manless machine creating all this convenience. We had to actually uh, hire um, salespeople to stand beside the machine and and to educate people that there is this service here now. And in Indonesia. Again, uh, un- unfortunately, we are still majority of Indonesians are still um, very hesitant to interact with machines. So again, that's that's also another education that that we had to do. So when you first started and and planned on this launch, uh, you had no plans of having these salespeople next to the machines, but you found out early on that they were necessary in order for people to adopt this. Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, like there, there were so many things that that um, we had to change from the beginning. Uh, that is one of the most costly part, actually. Uh, we didn't think that that you know we had we had to literally pull people to try, well, pull people to actually explain what this do, and only some of them will try. And then once they try it, then they are hooked. Then they immediately see the the value that we are giving them, right? So that's that's one. Um, 
Number two was, again, like, even though we, we try our best to minimize the incentive for people to not, um, not steal the power bank, um, there are still people that, that do that, right? Uh, part of it is because, um, you know, that's just Indonesians. We love to keep souvenirs. Um, I think, I think, the, I think the, the bigger part to that problem is that we are just not doing a good enough job to um, expanding our network, right? Um, the whole idea is we, we wanted to create convenience, but if we only have one machine, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if I was to try to paint a picture, if, you know, you go into a mall and this machine is only on the fifth floor, for example, then, you know, you would have to go all the way up to the fifth floor, pick it up. And then if you're on the ground floor and, you know, you realize that you want to leave, you can't because you have to go up, go back up to the fifth floor, return it, and then go back down to the ground floor. So I think that was, that was uh, one of the biggest factor as to why people are not returning our power bank is because our network is just not dense enough right and so we as um as opposed to creating convenience we are creating uh, frustration for our users so you were able to provide some value to people but because there the volume of machines that you have were not uh at at the all the convenient places they they just found it easier to walk away with them than yeah yeah they just they just think that it's not worth uh, returning this power bank. Another problem Dick had was that the power bank vending machines were very cost intensive. This was a problem because his user growth depended on how many machines there were. The more machines, the more valuable recharge was to users. Dick had to quickly figure out how to convince investors that it was a good bet to invest more into the company. As the founder, I have to convince the investors, you know, why our numbers were low at the start and why the power bank of uh, the number of lost power banks was so high. I have to convince them, um, you know, this happened because I need, I need more money. <laughs> I need to, more money to buy more machines, to deploy more machines so that, um, you know, this, this um, service that we're trying to give will eventually be a convenience as opposed to a uh, annoyance or frustration to our users. So how, how did you convince them that they needed to invest more money in order to uh, help you solve this problem? Sure, I guess um, one, one of the things that we did was we, 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 we deployed um, multiple machines in a shopping center so, so we did a very um, uh, concentrated study of of a yeah of of a location, and and we can show that the more machines that we deploy in this in this um, one shopping mall, the more traffic number one uh, sorry more traffic per machine yeah so more rentals per machine, and the lower the the number of power banks that are not getting returned, right? So, so that that was enough um, to to convince the, the our our investors to to help us out to to help us out with with more money to spend on capex. 
Even with the new infusion of cash, Recharge needed help with growth. Mobile power banks was a good business, but it wasn't a huge business. Dick and his team reevaluated their strategy to find new opportunities related to what they were already working on. Another thing that was uh, missing in Indonesia, there's no super app in in Indonesia. Unlike unlike China, which they have, you know, WeChat and Alipay. In Indonesia, you know that we have a couple of uh, startups, Gojek and Grab, that claim that they wanted to be a super app, right? Uh, which which they are in their own in 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 their own fields. So in China, right, uh, WeChat, you see any QR code on the street, be it on a machine or on a table or anything, you can open up WeChat and scan that QR code and you can get all of the um, all of the information on that QR code, right? Both Gojek and Grab, they are both driving for um, payment, right? So their, their app can only scan to pay at, at places. Right, but what when when we launched this um, machine, this network of uh, of power bank sharing machine, the QR codes we have on the machines are lock in QR codes, right? And and it's totally it's a it's a totally different different um, way of looking at things. Then what what we wanted to do is if we can create this network of machines uh, with power bank. Uh, with power bank sharing, then all of a sudden it, it opens up all of the vending machines in, in Indonesia to be able to to be in our network as well, right? Then all of a sudden all of the vending machines available in Indonesia could be, um, you can use our app to scan and log in and pay and it will be so much more convenient for everyone. So what you're saying is uh, there's a lot of different <clears throat> e-wallets and, and ways to pay for any kind of item right now in Indonesia. There's, uh, you had talked about Ovo, you talked about GoPay, Go uh, Link Aja, Dana. Um, those are some of the four largest ones, correct? But they're all their own separate app. Uh, and what you're saying is that through the Recharge app, because you've you built this capability of being able to pay for your power banks um, with any of these, you've now created a system that people can use to pay for um, basically an e-wallet aggregator. Yes, that is one of the things, uh, an e-wallet aggregator. But I think um, what what we realize is that. Uh, Okay, so going back to my uh, to the first thing that I said, which one of the biggest reasons why we thought that this this business could work in Indonesia is because uh, you know there's this huge wave, more like permanent wave, which is the cashless movement wave that's been educated, you know, by by Gojek and Grab. Um, but again, uh, power bank sharing is just one part of vending machine, right? And we believe this is applicable to any vending machine. Um, the fact that you know everyone is becoming more and more cashless, then um, the possibility of other vending machines 
even the ones that have not existed before, like like the power bank sharing one, um, is available now. Right. So what what uh, what our bigger vision became was that we we wanted to connect all vending machines into the recharge platform, uh, not just power bank sharing, but any other ones. Right. You can come up with a um, Jesse vending machine that that sells uh, bacon, maybe right or alcohol, and and you can use our software and people that that already has our app they can just go to your machine and scan and pay that's it so now now you don't have to continue to invest in uh more vending machines you can now use existing vending machines to improve density and value correct that's right that's right right so so um so we extended our our business into a you know the the power bank sharing one and uh, software for vending machines. So right? that's so, that's yep. a pretty significant jump, right? That's uh, a to- not a totally different business model, but uh, not not the same of what you were initially going for. So how did you how did you come to that conclusion that this is where we need to take the company, and then um, how did you kind of iterate your product to uh, or the partnerships or how, how can you make that jump? Right. So um, it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a jump actually. So for us to operate our own uh, network of power bank machines, we had to uh, create our own software, right? For us to be able to operate those thousand machines efficiently. Right. And, and obviously that the machines um, we bought from China, from a, from a factory, from a manufacturer. And uh, we found that it was quite tough to, to integrate their machines um, for Indonesia, right? So we figured out that, that was, if that was a pain point for us, it would be a pain point for everybody else as well, not just uh, in 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 the vending machine in the vending machine world. Yeah, so we took that and we we went we started pitching to you know just um, companies friends with this idea that uh, you know using our software you can you can integrate any any vending machines. Uh, we went to existing. Uh, vending machine players in Indonesia. We went to um, FMCGs with this idea that they can run their own vending machine business. It's not that complicated. If you use our software, everything is localized. It's a plug-and-play solution. Um, and and they, they can relate and they can see the value right away. So it wasn't that much of a pivot because we have de- we have been developing this this software, this vending machine management software for our own, right? And if you think about vending machine, uh, it's actually very simple. Um, you know, you have the inventory inside um, and you you have people filling it up. It's the same thing with us. It's just that we are a single product vending machine, right? We only have power banks. Well, well um, other vending machine has, you know, 
multiple brands and snacks and all that. So it wasn't that much of a of an expansion. Uh, so we we took it and run. So how long ago did this shift happen, and how is how has the transition uh, been? Any major obstacles that you have had to deal with? Sure. Um, I guess we started really um, promoting it um, six months ago. Well, now it's sorry, mid two thousand nineteen. So that was um, how many? Ten months ago. Yeah. So ten months ago, we started um, pitching it to to existing vending machine players and and FMCG. So um, we ever since then we we have connected um, 500 vending machines from this one uh, company called Redbox. Um, they they saw us. They saw that. Um, with our software, we can make all of his vending machines um, cashless. That was the biggest value that he saw. And the second thing that he saw was uh, with our software, um, he's able to uh, operate a lot more efficiently, right? All of a sudden, he, is, he can control all of his 500 vending machines um, in one platform, in one dashboard, and so he can see um, you know which vending machines that he has to he has to send people to refill today. What's tomorrow? Uh, what are the errors in machine A, B, C, D, E, and all of that? Um, that's one. And also, we we have signed a partnership with um, Nestle Professional uh, in Indonesia. They wanted to launch a, a coffee vending machine, which we have access to as well, and we have written the the software for so they pointed us as as their partner in indonesia for this project um so far those two are the uh, biggest achievements i guess so that sounds like those are pretty pretty significant partnerships to launch this uh new direction of the company okay. mm. so- right, yeah. There's just one other thing that, that I think um, is quite crucial that they missed, uh, that, that I forgot to mention. Um, one of the biggest value that we give to all these people is that if the vending machine uses our software, then our 900,000 users, well, power bank sharing users, are available to them, right? Um, the thing with vending machine is, you know, usually when, when you just deploy one vending machine in, you know, some dark corner, nobody will know unless they walk past that. But with our software in your vending machine, then um, our 900,000 users can see, can find your vending machine and they can browse in their mobile phone what is inside, what are you selling in your vending machine. Um, I guess that's that's one of the things that nobody else um, is trying to do, right? So so they, they really saw the value in that, and that's why they picked us. And so that's all done through the Recharge app? Yes, yes, yes. 
Um, yeah, so, so what we wanted to be is we wanted to become a super app for vending machine. We believe that uh, vending machine is the future. Uh, it's a new retail movement. And um, yeah, and, and we can, we can the, the mobile app is an, is an essential part of it, right? For you to be able to do, to explore, find, and pay all in your mobile phone. Dick and his journey with Recharge isn't over. While it's still premature to call Recharge a success, it's clear Dick and his team are taking the necessary steps to innovate and find success. There are two underlying lessons I'd like you to take away from my interview with Dick. First, don't let opportunity pass you by. If you're presented with an opportunity that takes you in a direction you want to go in, take it. Ask questions later. If you want it badly enough, you'll figure it out. Secondly, don't be afraid of change. Recharge 2.0 has nothing to do with the original idea of mobile power banks. Innovation means breaking free from what you know and are accustomed to. It's not easy and might not pay dividends in the short term, but if it's the right call, it will in the long term. Thanks for listening to the first episode of the Side Door Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and stay curious. Thank <laughs> you.